guest today is the broke horror fan himself, Alex D. Vincenzo. He's also a writer, filmmaker, and all-around badass. I was really happy to talk with him and um, go over some killer VHS stuff. Um, if you don't know, he also uh, partners up with Witter Entertainment, and they make all the really killer special edition uh, VHS releases of a lot of you know cool films that I like, and you know a lot of good stuff. And um, <clears throat> yeah, we talk horror and a little bit of everything and stuff. So if you're a fan of VHS, uh, this is the podcast episode for you. Hope you enjoy. All right. Um, Alex, thanks so much for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me, man. It's been a long time coming. I feel like you've been supporting Broke Horror Fan stuff for years. So thank you for the continued support. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. I, I love what y'all do. I love what you do with Witter Entertainment, like with the VHS stuff, man. You've taken a lot of my money. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving me a lot of your money. Yeah, that uh, that Mandy VHS is like my prized possession. It, uh, I'd only take it out of the box. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's my prized possession, too. When we were, not to get too far ahead of myself here, but when we were first starting the VHS stuff, uh, we kind of made a list of like, here's movies that would be like amazing if we could do VHS. And Mandy was like one of those like top five white whales, we were calling them. Uh, and we got it, which is incredible. Yeah, it's it's my prized possession. And I also own another VHS version I got off of eBay. It was one of the promos for Mandy when it first came out. I had to like hunt it down because it was sold out when you know when the film dropped. I found that one, but um, yeah, it doesn't compare to what y'all did like artwork wise and like the big box version. Like my wife tells me to run out of room, so she bought me some more shelves. So I guess that's you know telling me something. That's a good wife. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> So um, how did everything start, man? Like, where did it begin? Like, broke horror fan. How how did all that come about? Um, yeah, broke horror fan. I launched in 2014, actually July of 2014. So just about now is the anniversary. Um, I basically I'd been writing for a bunch of other horror sites over the years. Um, I wrote for Horror Hound, Dread Central, Hour in the Head, um, Horror News, a, f- a bunch of them. Um, and I kind of just got tired of being like caught up in the news cycle basically every site and don't get me wrong a lot of those outlets are great all the outlets i wrote for i have no complaints about um but they were all kind of doing the same thing and i just got bored of it particularly like the amount of work i was putting in usually for no pay sometimes for you know peanuts of pay um so i kind of just want to do my own thing find my own niche and kind of be my own boss so uh i launched broke horror fan to focus on merchandise and memorabilia which is stuff that you know i collect i'm a collector myself i am a broke horror fan that's where the name came from of course Mm -hmm. um so you know just highlighting cool whatever shirts blu-rays you know vinyl records vhs tapes posters Anything that has a horror movie on it, you know, or that I think horror fans will like, I will uh, post about on there. Um, And it's been fun, again, just kind of started as a personal project to keep myself busy. Um, And it has since kept me way busier than I ever anticipated. Uh, But it's a lot of fun. And then after a few years, I teamed up with a friend of mine, um, James, who runs Witter Entertainment, to do these officially licensed VHS tapes. Um, And it was kind of a similar situation where he was like, he kind of approached me like, you know, you have this brand, um, you know, he knows it, it doesn't you don't make a lot of money running a blog these days, if any. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was like, you know, let's do some kind of merchandising. I had done like a shirt or two. But again, I didn't want to kind of compete with with the multitude of other places already making cool stuff. So, you know, we were talking about what we could do to merchandise. Um, and again, you know, there's so many great 
shirt companies. There's great, you know, screen printed poster companies, stuff like that. So we wanted something that that didn't have a million competitors that were already established and, you know, could do better than we ever could. Uh, so we landed on VHS tapes, um, something, you know, we both have a lot of nostalgia for and affinity for. And um, we knew it was a super limited market. Uh, and there's only a few other companies out there doing it the way we're doing it in terms of, you know, officially licensing modern titles. Uh, mm-hmm. So we launched with Victor Crowley was our first tape in 2018. Um, also July, actually, I guess July is a good month for the site. Sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we've since, you know, gone on to include Mandy, like we talked about. We've done Psycho Gorman, Color Out of Space, Host, Terrifier, Willy's Wonderland, um, Nightmare Cinema, The Woman, Yoga Hosers, a lot of really, really cool movies from like filmmakers we love. Um, plus, we've done some smaller movies that, you know, they don't have the marquee value of, say, Nicolas Cage. But there's like really cool titles like Director's Cut and Extraordinary movies that we felt passionate about that also kind of made sense for the format. Mm-hmm. No, that's killer, man. Like, um, yeah, I own, uh, about what you just said there, are probably like five of those titles. Everything else is sold out before I can get to it, which is great. I think that's badass that people are like, you know, going after the VHS tapes like that. And it's amazing. I love seeing that. And I hope it continues, but uh, it really is. The- we, we, sorry, I mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, it really is amazing. I, we didn't expect it to take off the way it did. Uh, we were super excited to launch with Victor Crowley because well, I'm a big Adam Green fan first and foremost. But also, you know, we kind of we wanted to come out with a come out swimming with swinging with a big title that kind of people recognized because a lot of the companies that do I shouldn't say a lot. There's really only a handful that exist. But the companies that do put out tapes these days, it's mostly like smaller indie films, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. We've done a bunch of those as well. But we kind of wanted to come out big and make an impact to show, like, you know, we're serious about this. We're doing officially licensed modern movies that, you know, you want to watch on tape. So to get Victor Crowley as our first title was was a huge get for us. And it's just kind of spitballed from there. We kind of we we looked at kind of the Mondo model, the Mondo who does the screen printed posters. They do a very limited amount. You know, they usually sell out immediately um, and they're like collector's items. Now, we've we've kind of adjusted as we've grown um because of licensing we can usually only do a small amount at a time plus it's hard to find vhs stock these days um but we've since uh kind of introduced a model where we have a standard version when it comes to bigger titles we'll have a standard edition that we can restock later on um if the demand is there for it and then we'll also have these variants that are limited to like maybe 50 or or so uh of a title and those usually sell out really quick and then we they're gone for good so it's it's a cool thing for collectors but if you do just want the tape to watch the movie uh we try to keep bringing back the standard editions when when it's possible that's killer um what is the process like getting the rights to these films to be like you know produce them as vhs's is that like a big thing or how's that go it's uh it's a little different for each each person uh or each distributor i should say uh but we've generally had success with it um we led with again victor crowley which was put out by dark sky um and we i had been in contact with adam green because broke horror fans sponsored uh his podcast did like a charity uh live event and broke horror fan had sponsored it so i was in contact with him um he knew i was a big fan so he put us in touch with the right person at dark sky to kind of get the ball rolling and that one, Dark Sky ended up producing the first tape, uh, or manufacturing, I should say, uh, that tape, uh, which was cool, saved us like a lot of trouble. But it also, we kind of realized we wanted a little more creative control over what goes into it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so since that first tape, um, again, James at Witter and I literally do every step of the process from, you know, we crop the movies to four by three. We do duplication. Uh, I design the VHS sleeves. Uh, James ships them all out. So it really is just in-house two people doing all the tapes. Um, but since we had Victor Crowley, it kind of helped kind of get get our foot in the door at other companies. Um, mm-hmm. Our next like big contact, I, I think, was at epic pictures which had dread their horror label uh, i think it was dread central presents at the time now they're just dread mm-hmm. um somebody over there took notice and, mm-hmm. and we talked to them and that got us terrifier which was like our next big title um and then we got in with rlj through fangoria um we did satanic panic which they produced and that got us in to do the rlj titles like mandy and color out of space and psycho Gorman. so we've been really fortunate to work with these really cool distributors that that we love um we also have a good working relationship with arrow pictures who does you know obviously amazing stuff on blu-ray um they've been super nice um i I know i'm forgetting a bunch of distributors we've worked with but it's it has been surprisingly receptive the to the idea usually like when we first pitch they'll be like you know like are people really buying vhs tapes but i think they realize particularly when we have a filmmaker on our side we'll often try to if, if we don't have a contact at the distributor, we'll reach out to the filmmaker and be like, you know, here's the deal. Here's what we do. And then they'll put us in touch with the right person, the distributor and having them kind of in our corner, having the filmmaker be like, I want my movie on VHS. Uh, it's super helpful because uh, although most of these companies are smaller, some of them do have, you know, overhead where they have to, you know, they have to get some you know, whatever president of distribution or marketing or whatever to sign off on, you know, 50 VHS tapes of this movie. And they have to explain to them why they should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, as you can probably imagine, profit margins are super slim on VHS. Uh, but right. thankfully, a lot of them, they they accept it. They understand it. And they 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 see it more as a promotional tool uh, because, I mean, they do get a small amount of money, but it's also like basically we're promoting their movie for next, you know, and paying them at the same time. So they see it as a win-win. Right. That's crazy. It's only a two-person operation and the quality and, you know, the promotion y'all do. That's, that's insane. Well, thank you. Yeah, we put a, a lot of, way more effort than any sane person would put into these tapes. Um, but I do think it pays off, and I'm super proud of of how good they come out. Yeah, they're, they're amazing, man. Like, there's so much respect to y'all for doing that. And, like, it just kind of refired in, like, a passion of mine because, you know, I'm a late 80s, 90s kid, you know, and VHS tapes were big for me, like, going to Blockbuster or, like, a mom-and-pop place and the covers are what really draw you in and having that killer artwork on these big box versions of the VHS stuff, like, it's just awesome. Exactly, exactly. That It's so cool to hear stuff like that because we do, um, you know, when we first started out, we were talking about weighing the pros and cons between doing, like, your traditional kind of vhs cardboard sleeve versus the clamshell which is what we ended up going up up going with uh and the clamshell you get the bigger art and that's kind of what it came came down to we call it we call our tapes functioning collectibles because it is you know the movie's on the tape you can pop it in and watch the movie in four by three like you would in the 80s mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people understandably you know don't have vcrs in 2021 so it also, you know, we want to make sure it's something that looks cool as a collectible, as a collector myself. Like, you know, I would buy these myself even if I didn't have a VCR and just I think they look cool on a shelf. We get we try to commission new artwork when we can. Um, and even if we don't, we we usually have artwork options in terms of like, you know, this movie had a teaser poster and a theatrical poster. So we try to pick whatever makes the most sense on a VHS tape. Um, 
and yeah, we've we really lucked out, worked out, worked with some really cool artists. Yeah, that's a big draw, man. Like, like cover sell when it comes to stuff like that, especially if somebody's not, you know, they're not familiar with the film and stuff. Like, we see a badass cover art, like that just really sells it. Exactly. I I gotta give a shout out, uh, and I might be butchering his name. He's a Greek artist, Vasilis Zikos, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, but he's done covers for like. He's like a go-to artist. Not all of our tapes, but he did um, our Mandy standard, our Terrifier standard, um, a Victor Crowley variant. Uh, he's just incredible. Um, love working with him. We've worked with a lot of really cool artists, but um, he's he's sort of our go-to whenever we can. Um, and if anyone else needs artwork, especially horror, um, he kind of has that old-school painterly style, uh, and he, he's incredible. I It's crazy that he will still work with us, because I thought as soon as he got on, especially Mandy, because of how many people saw that tape. Um, mm-hmm. I thought people would be hiring him left and right. And I think he's got some work for it, but seriously, if you need him, look him up. Uh, Vasilis Zikos. Killer. Um, so I'm thinking, was Mandy your best seller so far? Um, Mandy, it's hard to gauge. Um, we need to restock Mandy again, technically. Um, I think we sold like 350 in a day, which is the fastest we've sold that many tapes for sure. But we've over time, we've sold, I think more Victor Crowley and more terrifier. But I think once we restock Mandy, which we are planning to do um, within the coming months, that will, that will probably top out uh, top them. And uh, psycho Gorman is, is pretty close behind that one sold out really fast as well. That's killer. Yeah. I'm kind of like the head of the Mandy cult. If I guess you can say like, I'm obsessed with that damn movie. It's my favorite <laughs> film. When I first watched it, it just blew me away. Something about that film, man, like Panos is a genius and you know, I'm a big fan of everything Spectrevision does. So that's good to hear that Mandy sold out like that. There's more people out there like me that, you know, kind of worship that movie because <laughs> you either yeah. like it or you, you either love it or you like, I don't understand it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you don't you hear the term cult classic a lot these days, but I feel like there's not a lot of modern cult classics. But that one really fits the definition. Um, I feel like when it played on the last drive in with Joe Bob Briggs recently, it kind of opened up the gates for even more people. And I definitely saw that kind of reaction on like when people were live tweeting, it was either love it or hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, I'm definitely firmly in this in the camp of loving it. And I can't wait to see what Panos does next. I think it was like like six or eight years between his first two movies. So I'm hoping it's not that long between his next one, but either way, I know it'll be worth the wait. Yeah, definitely worth the wait. And um, yeah, on those live tweets with Joe Bob, I always see you on there because I'm always on there. I tell my wife, all right, nine o'clock, you know, when, when it plays on our time and stuff, like it's time to watch Joe Bob. So I won't be live tweeting. <laughs> so I won't really be watching a movie that much, but, <laughs> but it's like, it's so fun, man. It's like a, a big giant community watch, you know? Exactly. No, it, especially. Um, so I, I watched the Joe Bob stuff during the first two uh, seasons, but didn't really join the live tweet. Like I would look at Twitter, you know, look at the tweets while it was going, but didn't really participate that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but then during the pandemic, well, maybe that was season two was during the pandemic. I don't know. Time is a blur because of the pandemic. But right. during the pandemic is when I started like really getting into it. And it really felt made me feel like connected to people for the first time in you know, several months because I, you know, we had been in lockdown for so long and it was just, it was really cool. It was almost like going to a horror convention without leaving your couch. Right. And it's really good for the introverts like myself who don't really, you know, associate with too much people. It kind of freaks me out, but 
you know, I've been in a band for 17 years. I can deal with all that stuff on stage, but man, outside of that, I'm like introverted. <laughs> it's a, shit, di- it's a different so piece. Weird. No, I I, I'm the same way. Like I can, I've like hosted panels and stuff at conventions, which like I can do. But if, if I'm like in a group of people, I will, I will not say a word, you know? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so it's so cool. Like, you know, you're not alone when you're watching Joe Bob, if you're online tweeting and stuff. It's, I do that. And there's also a face, couple of Facebook groups. I'm in. they do a live tweet. So I'm like juggling like three or three different apps going on at one time. Like, all right, oh, let me check back to this one. Let me check back to this one. Oh, the show's still going on. I check this. I'm like, and it's always cool when you hit like a good one liner and you get like a ton of likes and shares and it's like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, there's probably it's probably like bad for um, humanity as a whole. How like not to get philosophical here, but how how like eager we are for to please strangers on the Internet and like get engagements on tweets. But it really is. It feels like it feels like an accomplishment when you like, you know, somebody laughs at your dumb joke or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like you said, it might not be a good thing for us, <laughs> you know, but unfortunately with these times like internet stuff like yeah it's like trying to get a laugh where you can i guess it makes you feel better than you know i guess sitting by yourself watching you know yeah exactly which is fine too i've done it before like there's a couple times i didn't live tweet or anything but uh, yeah it's cool though like his reach you know the joe bob show and stuff like it's hitting so many more like different groups of people that aren't really don't really know the good classics and stuff, you know, like it's spreading so much good horror all over the place. Yeah. And it's, it's insane how, how big he's got. I mean, obviously, you know, that first season broke the internet or that first marathon rather, mm-hmm. um, you know, broke shutter there for a minute. And I feel like it's only, it's only grown every season. Um, I feel like the live tweets get bigger. The events get bigger as we're recording this. He's doing his, his live event at the Mahoning drive-in. Yeah, uh, which I wish I was there. Um, Me too. <laughs> I was there last weekend for VHS Fest, which was awesome. But uh, yeah, hard hard to pass up Joe Bob. Uh, but no, it's it's awesome. Like the the cultural reach he has, and and the way, like you said, kind of introduces like a new generation to the old stuff, and also introduces, I feel like, you know, the people who grew up watching him on Monster Vision maybe aren't that up to speed on newer horror stuff, and he plays a lot of that too, which I think is cool. I think those those are my favorite nights when he'll play like you know, an old movie, an old classic, and then something new that maybe you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And, um, yeah, with Monster Vision, I didn't grow up with cable. Like, I had cable off and on. So I do remember some of those being on, what, uh, TNT and stuff, but yeah, vaguely. Yeah. But it's enough that I remember him, and it's cool. It's like that nostalgia effect kicks in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I got to say my favorite episode so far was the uh, Phantasm Marathon he had. That's oh man, Phantasm is one of my favorite films. Or you know, one and two are my favorite out all of them. But that that marathon was amazing. <laughs> that that was really good, and that that was Christmas, right? Everyone thought he was gonna play like a you know a Silent Night, Deadly Night marathon or yeah. something, and then yeah, that was funny. I I enjoyed that. And I do I. It's one of those movies I actually just rewatched it recently, Phantasm, and I it moves up my my list of favorite horror movies with every watch i like it more and more every time so something about like the atmosphere and yeah yeah no just a kind of a perfect horror movie oh totally agree and it haunts me because back when um you know i was younger and stuff i used to get sick a lot with like migraines and shit so i wake up in the middle of the night if the tv's still on for some fucking reason phantasm would always be playing and this <laughs> 
torment me, you know, and it tormented me so much that, you know, I ended up enjoying it. Like, okay, I'm going to watch it without having like a migraine headache and stuff like, oh man, this is, you know, fucking great. But the tall man has been stalking me since a kid, you know, <laughs> small. So good on you for facing your fears. <laughs> so, yeah, I saw um, some of your posts with the VHS fest. That shit looked badass. How did, how did that get started? You know, anything uh, like it yeah it was awesome it was um so the mahoning drive-in is this kind of this mecca for for genre films or, or really all film but i think they do a lot of genre stuff um in pennsylvania it's like a maybe an hour or two out of philadelphia um Lahighton, i think is how you say the town it's in but i'm not positive um and five years ago um they started this thing called vhs Fest. they do a lot of like programming that's that's uh thematic i guess you could say like mini festivals they'll have like a kevin smith night and play two or three kevin smith movies or or something like that um and uh yeah so five years ago um i believe lunch meat who's another company that does vhs stuff um a lot of really cool stuff they've been mm-hmm. doing it for for a lot longer than me um they helped kind of kick off this vhs fest there uh i believe at the time they were like the drive-in itself was struggling to um, stay open. They they needed to get a, like a digital, needed to go digital projector because studios were stopping sending out uh, film prints. Um, so I, somehow they they like jerry-rigged um, like projectors together to project uh, VCR onto the screen. I believe. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah. So they had their first VHS fest five years ago. Um, and I think it's grown and grown every year. Uh, the, like I said, the last one was was a week ago. Uh, there was VHS Fest 5. This was my first time attending after kind of looking at Instagram posts longingly each year before that. Um, <laughs> so uh, James uh, at Witter and I got a booth. We brought a bunch of tapes. We have a couple sold out titles um, that we basically we, we have a small small quantity of of each run that we kind of hold back for live events and this was our first live event in you know a year and a half because of the pandemic mm-hmm. um so we got to bust out a bunch of titles that you can't get anywhere else um set up for the weekend uh friday night we got hit with like torrential rain for like a couple hours but um thankfully all of our tapes stayed safe we got soaking wet but our tapes were safe um and it cleared up in time for the movies, so that was nice. Uh, then we camped out over the weekend, which is another cool thing that drive-in does. Um, and then Saturday was like a beautiful day, uh, great movies. Uh, it was good, good to like actually meet people because again, it it rained most of the time. We would have been vending on Friday, um, mm-hmm. so we sold a lot of tapes. I think we made a few people happy that were looking for the sold-out stuff, which was cool. Plus, met a bunch of people who had never heard of us before, which is even better um and it was awesome um each night had three nights on vhs projected on the big screen um and it was like i don't even know how to describe it it's like summer camp for vhs nerds it was awesome oh nice yeah so they had music and all there too yeah yeah had a couple live acts on saturday which are which are really cool um i was super impressed i had not heard of him before lapses i believe he goes by um <laughs> like a synthwave artist i think he's lapses 666 uh on Bandcamp. Okay. Um, he he put on a really cool set. Um, then there was like a kind of a prog rock band and like a, a more of a metal-y band. It was cool. That's cool. I don't know why, but for some reason, synthwave and VHS goes together super well. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to do some kind of 
you know, I don't know, synth wave compilation on tape if we can if we could work out the logistics. Oh, that's badass. I've been um getting into that myself. Like um the intro to this podcast I did on my own and um I got it like two like kind of mini songs out there. Just one's based off the film Cobra. I don't know if you saw I heard that. the Cobra one, yeah, that was dope. And I like I said, the intro to the podcast, I have a full version of it. It's like almost two minutes long and stuff. I started messing around with that. It's got like a cheap um Akai keyboard and stuff. I've been using like GarageBand, but I've been having fun with that. I'm like, oh, this is great. So many options. Like, so I usually play guitar and stuff. When I was in the band, I did guitar and vocals. So doing keyboards is a whole different thing. And I love synthwave stuff. Like uh, Drab Majesty is my favorite band. I would, you know, they're synthy as hell and love that shit. Yeah, it, it's cool. I, I have almost no musical training um so i don't know if i could ever like put a song out but i did i like i like played guitar when i was like a teenager or tried to play guitar as a teenager didn't go very well um but i did i needed music for one of my short films at one point and just kind of taught myself how to play the keyboard in garage band and, and made like a synth score for it um and i've since done a, done a few other shorts both mine and for friends um and it is fun it's 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 kind of liberating there's like so many options so many plugins um you can play with and I, I do think it's it's so cool to to see you know other people doing it seeing it catching on again um and yeah that that i think that was the what i was most impressed with seeing that lapses uh artist at at the vhs fest be kind of seeing that thing brought live you don't see too often particularly a, a smaller artist mm-hmm. um and he was just you know just killing it that's killer man yeah i'm glad to see the you know the uh the new wave of vhs collectors and also you know the new wave like the scent stuff that's really catching on like it's been really big for the past um, maybe 10 years now like it's really getting up there and it's i don't see it slowing down anytime soon yeah that's the thing keeps growing and growing i will say there's there's kind of because it has gotten so big and it's so easy oh i shouldn't say easy is not the right word but inexpensive to do uh versus you know a traditional film score Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of particularly indie movies are are using synth sometimes where it doesn't necessarily benefit the film um, mm-hmm. kind of feels incongruous with whatever's on screen. And I do think that that's kind of a, a slippery slope to go down. But like like there's movies where like I'll be like that didn't fit the movie, but it's an awesome synth track, you know. Um, so I, I do think there's a there's a line to be drawn sort of in the filmmaker aspect. But yeah, I mean, the more music we can get like. The reason I started was just because I love John Carpenter and, you know, I'll listen to his scores at, at any time, especially when oh, yeah. we're writing. Um, so I was like, you know, I feel like I listen to enough and I know, you know, a couple scales and stuff. I can figure this out. Um, and again, I could never do like I could never release an album or whatever, but uh, some some ambient sounds to to accompany visuals, I feel like is is a good starting point. Most definitely. Um, also, keep on topic with like the synth and um, the films nowadays. Um, I watched a really badass film, and it's going to be on my top of the year easily. It was a uh, vicious fun. Have you seen that one? I did. I also just watched that, and I also love that soundtrack. Oh, that whole movie is great. It's even got like those like synthy like purples and visuals and stuff. Man, like so good. Yeah, yeah, the lighting and everything. Yeah, it's it's very very eighties. Uh, yeah, I think I watched it uh, like on a Friday night after work. I was like, oh, shit, I got to write a review like now. <laughs> I started writing a review like 10 at night. And that's kind of late for me because I'm up at like 5 a.m. every day. So I started writing a review that night and finished it the next day. And, um, you know, I tagged the the producer and director and stuff like that. And um, they liked the review. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. So that's like one of my favorite movies so far this year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
that is cool. Like I was talking about kind of the, the gratification of social media. Um, it, it probably has its downsides, but also like stuff like that, like, you, you know, 20 years ago, well, maybe not 20, I guess you could email them, but 30 years ago, you'd have to like find an address and write them a letter or whatever to tell them how much you like their movie. But now you can just tweet them or, you know, tag them on Instagram and, and they can see it, which is just amazing. Of course, that also leads to trolls, you know, telling them they should die or whatever. But, you know, fuck that. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of those out there. But, yeah, that's the cool part about social media. You can, like, you know, promote the shit out of for, like, the films you love super easy now. Like, you just get on there and start tagging or, like, go to all your different social media outlets and stuff and, like, really push those films and help these people out, and especially like, the smaller independent ones, you know. And I love that. Like, I love promoting. I did a lot of promoting when I did my band stuff. I was a promoter out of the band when it comes to, like, internet stuff anyways, you know. So I love doing that, man. It, it, it makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> no same same i was always yeah again i was in bands in high school and and would always i'd be the same i'd be the guy on myspace or whatever um you know adding random people and posting bulletins whatever the hell you post on myspace i can't remember but um yeah so it just kind of evolved from there yeah you're you're on it with a uh, broke hard fan stuff man when it comes to promoting like I go see all your shares and stuff. I'm like, man, yeah, you kill it on the promoting aspect. That's really cool. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I try. I try really hard. Um, and it's it's hard to kind of even make a dent in you know anything because there's so much content out there at all times. Um, particularly, you know, like if I drop a new a new short film or whatever, it's with each one it becomes harder and harder to kind of get people to lend their attention span for five minutes or whatever it is um just because you know at any given minute there's probably like a million new things uploaded to youtube um so i do i mean i am i mean i'm spoiled because i have the broker fan audience to utilize but i mean i also built it from nothing so if i can do it anyone can that's killer and speaking of um films and stuff man the nurturing was awesome i remember i did a review for that one for you and i you loved did it. thank you man i appreciate it that was my i had done a bunch of a bunch of stuff that was more comedic. It was all horror based. Um, that's obviously my thing. I'm obsessed. Um, but I had done kind of horror comedy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was kind of my, my attempt to do kind of straight horror. Uh, cause I didn't want to just be like the horror comedy guy. And, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. There's like, you know, cause I'm the filmmaker, there's like a million things I would have changed about it now, but, uh, I'm overall proud of it. Um, and uh yeah excited to kind of continue to expand on that when did you uh, get into filmmaking oh uh i want to say like 2015 maybe i made my first short uh basically i had again i was writing for when i was in like high school i i wrote for a blog called horror 101 which has long been dissolved um but i uh through myspace actually this this episode brought to you by myspace uh, <laughs> saw that there was like this local independent film shooting in the i'm from massachusetts and this was filming in the boston area and mm -hmm. it had like this cast of a bunch of horror icons now i know nowadays it's almost like now if i see a cast that has like 50 names they're all at a horror convention i kind of almost shy away from that movie because i know all the movie went to the acting and nothing else mm -hmm. um but at this time, this was like, I don't know, 2011, maybe, give or take. Um, it was it was not so common to see to see an independent movie being made with all these people. It had um, 
Tony Moran, who was the unmasked Michael Myers in Halloween. He's like the star in it. It also mm-hmm. had PJ Souls from Halloween, Tony Todd from Candyman, Christina Cleave from the Halloween remake, um, Debbie Rashawn, uh, and a few other names. Uh, so I saw this was filming locally. I messaged them and was like, hey, uh, I have this horror blog. Could I come out and like do an article, uh, you know, about the filming? So they had me out on set, um, got to like sit down with Tony Moran, which is cool. I know he's he's gone through his troubles um, both publicly and privately recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was nothing but super sweet and kind to me. Like he could definitely tell. Again, I was like a I don't know, 17 year old kid. And Halloween was my favorite movie. I mean, still is. Um, but he kind of like took me under his wing, made sure like, you know, I got like pictures I wanted of like the actors and, you know, gave me this interview, gave me his time of day. Uh, really, really sweet to me. Um, and while I was there, I basically there's, there's this old kind of kind of a joke that every reviewer is like a failed filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of like, again, in my pretentious high school mind, I was like, no, you're like, I don't I want to be a journalist. I don't I don't want to be a filmmaker like those are different mediums. But like the second I sat on that set, set foot on that set and saw like everything that was going on, like the camaraderie between the cast and the crew and like just the creative process, the art behind it. I was like, oh, no, I'm an idiot. Like this is this is exactly what I want to do. These are my people. Um, so I, I volunteered on a lot of local film sets um, over the years uh, after that experience on that movie. That movie was called Beg, by the way. It did get distributed uh, several years later. And I think they might be working on a sequel now. Um, it's like a. It's a decent, uh, very low budget uh, slasher. Um, so, yeah, I worked on a bunch of other indie films, you know, nothing, nothing major of note, but uh, some fun stuff. And then eventually got to a point where I felt comfortable enough that I was like, OK, I, th- I think I can do this. I understand the basics. Um, and I had I'd been filming bands my entire, you know, teenage years and and kind of editing stuff from that footage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured if I could basically convince crew members that I worked with on these other films to kind of do a favor for me and, you know, many of them, I had, I had worked on their sets as well. That's kind of, you know, how it works in a local film community, particularly when you're just starting out, you know, you'll lend a hand to someone, then they'll help you. So I was like, mm-hmm. if I can convince these people to help me for one night, I can put together a short and then I can edit it myself and get it out there. Um, so that's what I did. My first short was called the horrors of autocorrect. Um, mm-hmm. It's it has uh, Nick Principe, who's the killer in Laid to Rest. He oh, nice. used to yep. be he was in a local band called Closer Than Kin when I was a teenager. Um, oh, cool. So we had still been in contact after he moved out to L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was coming back into town. So I was like, hey, you know, what's it going to take to get you in this movie? So he kind of did it for, you know, a small, a very, very small amount of money uh, kind of came down and played the killer in this. It's it's kind of a parody or send up, I guess is a better word, to the opening of Scream, where, you know, it's like, you know, a killer calling this this girl home alone at night. Um, but then it turns into a text message kind of back and forth where the killer keeps being autocorrected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm as far as like visuals and stuff, there's definitely, again, a lot of stuff now that I know what I'm doing and like the production I I needed I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was going into the production, but the final result I'm very proud of um, the script. I think if, if I'm being honest with myself, it's probably one of the better scripts I've ever written, even though it was one of my first. Um, and it, it reached a pretty wide audience. It got picked up by Crypt TV, which is like Eli Roth's digital horror short. I don't know. We've already called them distributor. I guess you should say. Mm, yeah. I love Crypt TV. Mm-hmm. It was like in their early days, they picked it up, um, which was insane to me. Again, this is my first short. Uh, 
and like Eli Eli Roth liked it, which was you know incredible at the time. Um, and did really well for them. Um, and I just kind of went off from there. Did a my next short was like another kind of comedic one called Trouser Snake, kind of a, a parody of 1950s like monster movies. But mm-hmm. at the but the monster is a penis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then I did a few other things. Eventually, like I said, kind of wanted to lean away from the the comedic aspect, and then did a few. I did one called The Misplaced um, a few years back, and then The Nurturing is is my most recent one. Um, I've got a, a couple others. One that I'm actually about to shoot that was kind of made meant to be a pandemic thing. I think I could do in the pandemic because it only takes like one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have another one called Reverberance in Post-Production um, that I co-directed with a friend of mine, TJ Frizzy, uh, which should be out, you know, sometime either later this year or early next um, that I'm excited about. And really for me, it's it's I mean, I would love nothing more than to be a director um, as a career. But I know the the odds of that are one in a million. So if nothing else, if I can just every once in a while take a weekend to make a short with with a few friends, um, I'm I'm perfectly content with that. That's killer. Yeah. And it's still like, you're still um, like adding fire to your passion and stuff like that. And, you know, you're happy with it. Everybody that watches is happy with it. Like that's what matters really, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm super, super proud of the stuff that I've done. Um, and I try to, even though, you know, none of the stuff I've really had, none of the stuff I've made has really had much of a budget. Um, I still try to at least make, you know each one better than the last whether that's in terms of production value or or what have you or scares in the in this case i i definitely think um the the nurturing my latest one is the first one where i attempted like genuine you know kind of traditional i guess you could say scares mm-hmm. um and thankfully i've i've heard i've gotten a lot of feedback where people say that you know one of the scares got them which is which is incredibly gratifying Unfortunately, uh, that came out again during the pandemic. It was supposed to have a premiere at a film festival, um, Boston Underground Film Festival, which is a pretty big one locally. Uh, and that was one of the early uh, cancellations because of the pandemic. It was it was the event was in March of 2020. Um, and then they had a virtual thing and it played a few other virtual festivals. But I haven't seen it with an audience yet. Um, and I'm hoping hoping I can see see it at one um, in the fall. There's a couple events coming up if. If humanity can be not terrible and stupid and get vaccinated and wear masks. Yeah, I got my fingers crossed. I hope so. <laughs> like, I'm hearing some weirdness out of California again. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Dude, get your yeah. Shots, man. I already got my two. I'm fine. I mean, yeah, I grew, I grew some extra hair and stuff. But it's nothing. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not true. So whoever's listening, <laughs> it's not definitely. I'm already hairy. It's fine. You know. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't notice if you had any extra. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Like, um. What what films inspired you like when it comes to directing? What were some of your inspirations? Um, I mean, I, I mentioned John Carpenter, how much I love his composing. He's also my favorite director. Um, mm. Halloween's my favorite movie. That was a big inspiration on The Misplaced, my second to last movie, second to most recent, I guess I should say. Um, I really like, which is something Halloween did, and I don't think it gets enough credit for. Um, like a subtle basically you're looking at a big widescreen frame i mean obviously you know dean cundy on halloween shot the hell out of those anamorphic uh lenses you're looking at this big wide wide frame there's like a character in the foreground and then like the creeping terror kind of lurks in the background out of focus something about that um, i mean halloween probably wasn't the first movie to do it i'm sure it wasn't the first movie but did it really well 
Um, and another one much, much later on, uh, the strangers, I think is like one of the, one of the best modern horror movies to come out of like the studio system. Yeah. That's um, a good one. Yeah. Which did, did a similar thing has, has similar shots where it's like, you know, again, you know, Liv Tyler's in the kitchen in the foreground and then you kind of see the masked man just lurk in the background and she doesn't know, it, but the audience knows it. And there's something about that. Um, if, if you or anyone listening has seen the misplaced, my previous short, I, I definitely, uh, the the final shot of that is is 100% me trying to kind of emulate that tension. Um. So that's I mean that's the, that's kind of the thing. Now I focus is kind of wanting to do, kind of bridge that the the more traditional kind of like dread building with with your kind of modern horror sort of like a like a conjuring or insidious type stuff. I don't want to say jump scares because I mean they are jump scares, but I feel like they're warranted for lack of a better word jump scares get a lot of flack and like justifiably so in some cases because some movies just use them you know it's a loud noise or it's you know the cat jumping out of nowhere and those are cheap and 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 not earned but i think i mean i i mentioned the conjuring and insidious uh but really anything james wan touches uh i think he's like the modern master of of the jump scare uh because his his are always earned and they're always effective or you know usually effective anyway um, and that's something I, I'm kind of trying to to, again, bridge the gap between using those kind of modern scare techniques with the traditional kind of building of suspense and dread. Nice. Yeah. James Bond is uh, definitely the master of that. First time I saw Insidious, it was like at two or three in the morning. So I was already really, really sleepy. This is when it first came out and stuff. And uh, that one hit me pretty good. I'm like, holy shit, you know, oh, PG-13, I'm whatever, you know, PG-13 horror movies usually are not that great because they're hold back. But with Insidious, that's a whole different story, man. Like, it was so dark and, like, man, where the jump scares were, they were so effective. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another one of my modern favorites. I think I'm not a huge fan of the final third when they go into the, the I forget what they call it, the other side or whatever in that movie. The further. Um, the further, yes, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Further, yeah. I know I'm talking about how much I love it and can't remember like a basic plot point. Um, but uh, yeah, it loses me a bit in that it's a little too fantastical for, for my taste, but those first two thirds of that movie are so good and so tense and so like genuinely scary. Um, I, I love it. I know obviously he got, um, you know, more, even more notoriety with the conjuring. And I think that kind of overshadows, which the conjuring is also, you know, does very similar things and is grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that kind of overshadows just how good Insidious is. Yeah, it's it's my favorite out of what he's done. Like the first first two Conjuring films are cool. I like him a lot. But um, when it comes to like Insidious, I think the first two Insidious films are better. And um, yeah, yeah, I I gotta rewatch the second one. I don't think I've seen it since it came out. But I remember it doing, it did kind of like the cool Back to the Future two thing where you like see the events from from the further or something. I don't know. I gotta rewatch it. But but yeah, I think all four Insidious movies are like pretty solid but that first one is just yeah man still gets me still works the scene with the demon sitting there sharpening i think it was claws or whatever and he's listening to tiny tim i'm like yeah, that is yeah. fucking horrifying man <laughs> well, there's also some, now i've never seen this uh, i excuse me i never noticed it on first viewing but i've talked to other people who were like oh yeah i saw that but there's a shot in in the the first insidious and if if you don't know what i'm talking about look it up on youtube i actually don't know what the search terms were but i'll figure it out uh, but there's like a shot where it's like a long take kind of follows the main character like around the house as she hears a creepy noise. Mm-hmm. And within that, 
take there's like a kid standing in the corner who's not a character in the movie i mean he is a character in the movie but like they don't dress it they don't like stop and show you the kid it's just like there in the background for whoever sees it mm-hmm. and it's again i didn't see i saw like somebody share it on I don't know, twitter or facebook or something after the movie came out and it just made the whole scene like a million times more scarier i was like more scary i should say excuse my bad grammar um it's just like like stuff like that like you never you don't see stuff like that very often in, in a in a relatively major movie um so i love that yeah i think i had a friend point that out to me because i've seen a city so many damn times like yeah check for this like scene here at this time and stuff and i do remember seeing that i'm like wow that's creepy as shit yeah right <laughs> and another one when it comes to that vein of movie like you know conjuring insidious um sinister that that yes. was a, that that was a really it's still it's still very haunting like dark ass movie man even now because i rewatched it maybe a few months ago i'm like wow sinister is still really damn good it is it is um that lawnmower scene still still gets me every time oh yeah yeah that one's that and um with the uh the tree scene there being that i do a lot of like uh tree work and stuff like that at my job like oh my, yeah the tree saw right there like in the limb coming down to hang him and stuff I'm like oh that's fucking crazy <laughs> And um, the soundtrack plays a big part in that one, too. It's got a great soundtrack. And if I'm not mistaken, the band Over or used to be a black metal band. And they got into doing like some like synthy stuff, like soundtrack stuff. I think they did a lot of the soundtrack and it really adds that real dark element to the film. Well, I didn't realize that that they were a black metal band before. That's cool. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> you wouldn't even believe that's the same band. Like, oh, over, yeah, I know those guys. Kind of, you know, some songs are poppy. <laughs> but if you go back to, like, their first couple releases, they're straight up, like, old school black metal. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, it's some of the best. Like, if you like the old school, like, you know, roughly recorded black metal, you'll love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, What kind of things are you uh, working on for the future? Or working on? Um, I know you mentioned a few of them, but. Yeah. Uh, in terms of movies, again, I got those two shorts. Um, I have I have the script written for like the next the next bigger production that I want to film. I, sh- I mean, I say bigger. It just means like more than three people involved. Um, but like the next like fully produced short I want to do. Um, hoping to shoot it this summer. But again, it's it's dependent on COVID stuff and just people's availability. Um Beyond that, not sure in terms of filmmaking. I'm excited to get back on any set, whether it be mine or friends or, or whatever, uh, just because it's been so long. I have worked on one or two really small things that were, you know, COVID compliant. But I look forward to getting on like a, a regular set where I know everyone's vaccinated and feels safe and comfortable. Um, and in terms of VHS, there we're always working on a million releases. We just announced today. I'm, I'm not sure when the show will air, but Honeydew, um, which is I don't know if, if you're familiar with it, but it's it's a pretty cool. If you're a fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, it's very much in that vein. Mm, um, nice. It stars Sawyer Sawyer Spielberg. Excuse me, his name's kind of a tongue twister. Um, Steven Spielberg's son in his acting oh, debut. Good. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It put out by Dark Sky Pictures and and kind of co-presented by Bloody Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's gonna be our next tape that comes out next Friday, which is July twenty third. Uh, that one's limited to fifty. Um, we're working on restocks of some of our bigger titles that we haven't had the chance to restock just because we've been busy with other stuff. Um, Mandy, um, Psycho Gorman, Willy's Wonderland. Those will be back in stock in the near future. Uh, we're also working on our fall lineup. 
nothing I can give away right now, but a few titles we're super excited about, and I think uh, VHS collectors will be as well. Um, and beyond that, we're just kind of still talking to. Actually, just got a. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's cryptic because I can't really say anything, so I don't know how entertaining of a of a listen it is. But we just signed a deal with with a new distributor who will who has a lot of great catalog titles that we're excited to to use to put on VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a lot of exciting things to look for on VHS if you're into that. Um, nothing I can give away right now, but uh, definitely like a, a pretty diverse array of titles. Um, and beyond that, Brokar fan is just always kicking, always plugging along. We actually have um, a new shirt coming out pretty soon. Um, that's like a very obscure reference to a Friday the 13th movie, if you're into that kind of thing. Nice. And a new print coming out soon. Um, the shirt, I think, will be out at the beginning of August, so people can have it in time for uh, Friday the 13th in August. Mm-hmm. And a new print that is, uh, it's hard to describe on a podcast because it's uh, not a visual medium, but it, it looks like a a subway map, but the map is all of horror movies, and each each line, each subway line, rail line, is a different subgenre, and they kind of intersect where the movies intersect, oh, which cool. uh, probably sounds confusing without seeing it in front of you, but it's a really cool thing. Um, nothing we created internally. It's actually just something we saw online and I contacted the artist and was like, Hey, can we team up and, and make prints of this? Cause it's really, it's the way we've only done, this will only be our second print. We don't do a lot of them. It's just like, if I see something and I'm like, I want that on my wall. So other people will probably want it on their wall. Um, our other print, which is available online now is, is this really, really cool ghostbusters piece made by an eight year old artist. Oh, cool. Um, uh bloody bloody popcorn is is like a a horror blog run by a by a husband and wife with with two young boys Mm -hmm. and uh you know the they posted uh one of their son's ghostbusters drawings on twitter and i was like that is a really cool piece it's it's almost like abstract it like you can tell it's a ghostbuster uniform but instead of his head it's just like a big blob of slime i was (laughs) like i i want that on my wall uh so let's do it so we teamed up with them and released that um that and all of our tapes that are in stock, they're available at witterentertainment.com. Um, if you go to brokearfan.com, there's you know a link for it, a shop link at the top. Um, I think that's all of my stuff to promote. That's badass, man. I, I got a question like, uh, how hard would it be to get the rights to the Jack Nicholson film Wolf and throw a VHS of that out there? I mean, that's <laughs> pretty niche because you know, oh, Wolf, what's that? But you know, people that lo- like it love it, you know, and I it, love that film. It is incredibly hard. Um, again, we've had luck with with the distributors that we've worked with, um, but we have reached out to some bigger studios on stuff, and it's impossible. Like they won't even, without knowing the exact person to contact and like have someone to introduce us, like they're not going to give us the time of day. And I understand they're these you know billion dollar corporations. They're not going to care about if we give them a couple hundred bucks to put some movie they don't even remember they have on tape. Um, we're not saying never. We're we're hoping we can do some of the bigger stuff. Like people will ask us about titles like, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think of an example, like It Follows or like The Witch, which are like two of my favorite modern horror movies. But they're you know they're at studios that are much bigger, um, so it's kind of harder to get our foot in the door. But you know, we're never gonna say never. 
Um, last thing I wanted to ask you, um, you got any recommendations for like what you're watching now, movie wise, TV wise? Oh, um, well, I just watched the first two Fear Street movies. The third one came out today as of this recording um, and kind of been having a blast with them. They're Same. they're a little little silly, a little campy, um, but kind of in in the perfect way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's the closest, particularly, you know, during the pandemic, the closest it's come to be to feel like like event viewing for horror other than Joe Bob. I feel like mm-hmm. it's like the way other people feel about watching like Loki or some of those Disney Plus series, which which I also enjoy. But um, it feels like the way the, these are coming out one a week, three weeks in a row, you know, all interconnected. Um, I just think it's so cool. Um, it, I, it's very ambitious of Netflix. Obviously, they usually drop they'll drop a full season in a day and then everyone will love it for that weekend. But then I feel like by the next, the next week, everyone's onto something else. So I think this is really cool. It's it's kind of exciting and exciting to see that people, there's no consensus. Usually it's like, Oh, you know, the first one was the best and the second one sucked or whatever. But I've seen people say that each one of the three are their favorite, um, which I think is cool so far. I like, I like 1994, the first one, the best, but I'm excited to watch the third one. Um, on a smaller level, uh, there's this movie called Come True that I th- it's currently on VOD. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have not. Um, it was put out by IFC Films, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's on DVD yet, but probably should be soon. It hit VOD um, a few months back. Um, it uh, it's hard to describe. Almost very Cronenberg-ish, but also feels a lot like It Follows, which again, uh, as I mentioned, is is one of my modern favorites. Um, that's been the one that I've been kind of praising to anyone who will listen lately. Um, just just a really really solid kind of coming out of nowhere movie that not enough people not enough people are talking about. Okay, nice. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I have to put that on my list. IFC, IFC usually does pretty good stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it deals with uh, sleep paralysis, which is I think is already kind of a, a scary thing. Um, right. I don't know if you ever saw that documentary, The Nightmare. Yeah. But I, I think that is like it's a documentary, but I think it's one of the scariest movies to come out in the last you know decade or whatever. Um, and whenever there's you know, since then, I feel like there's been like four or five different horror movies about sleep paralysis and none of them, none of them capture that kind of dread. Mm-hmm. But this one, this one does it. Uh, I, uh, big fan of that one. Okay. I'm going to put that on the list and on the topic is sleep paralysis. I don't know if you've seen the TV show evil. I have not. Dude. Like I didn't know shit about it. I went in blind. It was on, I think season one is on Netflix right now. It's called evil. Um, it looks like a generic from the cover. It looks like a generic cop show or something. It's totally not. Um, there's fucking demons and shit, man. And this uh, lady, the main character, I can't remember her name right now. She suffers from uh, sleep paralysis. And when she's in that state of sleep paralysis, there's this crazy ass looking super well done demon that comes like sliding through the door and stuff, smiling at her and shit and starts grabbing at her legs and stuff. I'm like, that is horrifying, man, because I've had sleep paralysis before and yeah, I've seen shit like that, you know, and they captured it so well. I I have definitely seen that browsing on Netflix now that you mention it and kind of passed over again, like you said, it just kind of looks like a generic thing, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm intrigued. Also, I just looked it up a uh, quick amendment that come true is currently on Hulu. So if you have a Hulu subscription, uh, highly recommend checking that one out. Excellent. Yeah, I have like 20 subscriptions of different things. <laughs> yeah, no, same here. It's like it's it's no cheaper than cable at this point, but I'll still take it over cable any day. Yeah, it's my passion, so I throw my money yeah, at it. <laughs> exactly. It's worth a few bucks a month. 
Yes, indeed. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. This was a fun talk. Thank you, man. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Uh, maybe uh, we can put out, I'm going to kind of announce a few more tapes or something. Um, this is a fun chat. And again, I really appreciate your continued support. You're you're always like the first one to retweet and share um, on, all, on all the social medias, really. You're, you're on top of shit. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I do my best, man. I like doing it. It's fun. I love supporting things I love, and y'all do great work, man. I really appreciate what y'all do. Thank you. Awesome. Well, take care. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.